Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Wednesday, April 8th. We begin with our continuing series, Ask the Doctor. Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the U of C, joins us to answer all of your COVID-19 questions. Next, we catch up with David Aiken, Global Senior Political Correspondent, with details on an improved federal government wage subsidy program designed to help Canadian businesses. Then we look at Premier Jason Kenney's provincial address from last night. Pollster and political columnist Janet Brown shares her thoughts on the Premier's message. It's an important time of the year for those of the Jewish faith. We speak with a Calgary rabbi on the significance of Passover and how the holiday will look different this year due to the pandemic. And finally, it's a great online resource for our kids and the whole family. Nirmala Naidu joins us with details on the learning tools and the rain barrels we can get through Green Calgary. 709 on the morning news, we've been getting calls, texts, and emails over the past couple of weeks asking for answers to everyone's COVID-19 questions. So we brought in an expert to help. Joining us is Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary, Dr. Craig Janney. Good morning, doctor. Good morning. Thank you again for spending the time with us. And we're going to do it in a similar fashion to what we did last week because we want to get as many questions answered as we can. So yes or no, our short answers would be appreciated, Dr. Janney. Okay. Are you ready? Okay, this is a, a very timely one here. Please have the doctor confirm if we can still do Easter dinner. Can our two sons bring their wives and kids for a total group of nine? We will not be able to stay two meters away from the one and three-year-olds. Uh but I would discourage it. We're still very much in the point where there's a lot of virus in the community. We have to really limit our social interactions, even below groups of 10, and bringing multiple uh, households under one roof and one table, probably not the best idea right now. Such a tough one, right, at this time of the year. Everybody wants to get together, but it's just not smart, especially with the kids and older people involved. That's exactly it. I mean, the biggest risk is somebody exposes a, a patient at risk, and, and things can get very bad very quickly. I'm asking this on behalf of a friend of mine. She needs to travel from one, one province to another by air. Does she have to self-isolate once she gets off the plane? So right now, the, the, the actual law says no. There are different recommendations in different provinces, so you'd have to check the destination province. Uh, and also keep in mind when traveling, uh, be very careful with hand washing, hand sanitizer, uh, and really look after yourself. Stay two meters apart and, and don't touch your face. Wash your hands frequently, and all should be good. Okay, here's another one. If someone carrying the virus handles your pet, can it be passed to you? unlikely, although there is still a theoretical possibility. We know pets can be infected. We've never seen a case yet of a pet infecting a person, but there's always that risk of viral transfer on on the pet, especially if they're rubbing the face and then you're rubbing the face uh, of your pet. Uh, I I know we all like our our animals, but it's still best just to limit contact as much as possible. What about cats in particular, Dr. Janney? Because we had that tiger and some other big cats that in a zoo that seem to be symptomatic. Is that something we need to worry about with our house cats? have no evidence at all of a pet ever infecting a person. So it, it may be that the pets can pick up the virus, but this is often what we would refer to as a dead-end host, and they can't spread it any further. We don't know yet for sure with, with this coronavirus, but there's been no cases of coming back from a, a, an, a, an animal host. Comparisons to, of course, COVID-19 and the flu have been rampant for months now, it seems, as since we first heard about it in China. So the big question is, biggest differences between the flu and the novel coronavirus? And again, from our text line, to a certain extent, the question gets down to why do we make a big deal about COVID-19 
when we don't make a big deal about the average flu that we are witness to in previous years? So there's a couple uh, answers to that. The, the big reason why we're, we're more concerned about COVID-19 is really twofold. One is that there is a higher fatality rate. So uh, of the people who get COVID-19, there seems to be more people that require hospitalization and unfortunately uh, pass away from it. The second reason is with the flu, we actually have a number of tools. We have a seasonal flu shot, which does a very good job. Even if it doesn't completely block infection, it makes it less severe, so fewer people are hospitalized. Right now, we don't have that option with COVID-19, so we have no way of protecting the most uh, susceptible people in our in our community. Next question, if you're asymptomatic, for how long are you still consider, uh, considered to be contagious? Is it 14 days like those who have symptoms? Yeah, so we're still learning this. It's another fantastic question. We really don't have a hard answer on it, and it seems to vary patient by patient. Some people uh, are viral-free after a few days of loss of symptoms. Other people, the virus does seem to persist for for a, a bit longer. So there are no hard and fast rules. It's patient by patient, and we're still following the recommendation of that when symptoms have stopped to still stay self-isolated for a period of time. Yeah. Personal question here. My daughter loves sushi, and I am a little concerned about sushi because, A, it's served raw, and, uh, B, it's uh, melded, it's, it's made by hand. So should I be more concerned about eating one type of food over another? That's a tough question. Again, we would like to think that, especially things like sushi, people are washing their hands frequently. Um, hopefully restaurants are asking anybody with symptoms to, to, to self-isolate. But, yes, raw food is... Uh, you know, perhaps problematic during this the, the high peak of virus in the community. I'm not. I don't want to discourage people from getting out and supporting local restaurants, but it is probably safer to be eating cooked food or food that can be heated when you bring it home. Is there or will there be, doctor, a blood test in Canada to test for the coronavirus and antibodies? There will be. We, we've already seen this now launch in, in a couple places where we're doing research levels of antibody testing, and this is going to provide a huge amount of information. Right now, the viral testing looks for real uh, infection at that moment in time. If you had the infection and had cleared it, we'll miss you in these screens. The antibodies will tell us everybody who was exposed and fought off this virus, regardless of when they got sick. Can a mosquito uh, spread the virus? So the evidence right now is no. We've not seen this as a bloodborne infection, and we have no evidence whatsoever that the virus can survive in a mosquito. So good news for Canada. That is a good thing for sure. <laughs> um, how about using zinc? Does that neutralize the virus? So again, I, as far as I've seen all scientific evidence, there is no proof of this. I mean, it, w w a good balanced diet, ensuring you're getting the right amount of, of vitamins and in particular minerals, great for body health. There's no evidence whatsoever that one specific mineral is going to take out this bug. How about immune boosters? Any evidence that they help in any way? They, they, they don't hurt, but I would not rely on these things as a, a fail-safe defense mechanism. So, you know, even the simple things, lots of rest, good nutrition, staying hydrated, if possible, keeping stress down, get out, get some sun, vitamin D. Those are all great just to build a strong immune system, whether it's coronavirus, flu, or, or anything else. It's good to keep your immune system up. Could somebody be infected with the coronavirus and only have one symptom, or would you always have all of the symptoms? No, you can have single symptoms. You can have no symptoms. We, we have a lot of cases. People are fully infected, shedding virus, and they feel fine. And, and this is the real concern now in the community, that we don't even know really who's infected but based on symptoms, and there's a chance for it spreading without people even knowing. Uh, how about uh, microwaving my cloth mask? Will that kill the virus? Uh, so it, 
it's a, a tough question to ask or ask, answer broadly because there are lots of different plots, lots of different materials, lots of different. There are some instructions on how to, you know, care for a cloth mask. Visit the the U.S. CDC website, uh, and and even the U.S. Surgeon General has great web resources on how to make these, maintain them, and and use cloth masks uh, effectively. 719, as we bring in our infectious diseases specialist, Dr. Craig Janney, once again, still have some more questions for you from our listeners and our texters. Dr. Janney, thanks again for joining us. Can you get COVID-19 a second time? Do we know anything about that? So right now, all evidence is no. It looks like people that have had it and recovered have what we call protective immunity. So you can't catch it a second time. The remaining question, though, is how long that immunity lasts. So we know that you're immediately protected, but will that last a year, two years, 10 years, lifetime? We're we're, we're way too early in this to understand how long your memory is going to last. Okay, how safe are the hospitals uh, that we have to go to for a procedure without the risk of uh, contact uh, contracting the coronavirus? been huge measures taken to protect not only patients but staff at the hospitals elective uh, surgeries and procedures have been delayed where possible to make sure not only is there less risk to the patient but that there's more capacity at the hospital so alberta health services has been phenomenal in ensuring patient safety uh, above all else should i buy one of those home tests online that i keep seeing on facebook no <laughs> I, I can't validate any of those tests. Uh, w- w- the other aspect of, of most tests is they're really, even if the test itself is the same that the provincial labs use, the test is only as good as the person doing the test. And unless you've been trained in how to do these, uh, you might be sampling the wrong part of your airway. I mean, it's not as simple as just touching a swab to your nose. You've got to make sure you're into the right part of that. And you, you'll be getting per, perhaps results that are not reflective and, and then making poor decisions based on, on bad information. What about secondhand smoke blowing on you? Could you contract uh, the virus that way? You, you can't contract the virus directly from secondhand smoke, but smoke in general uh, does nasty things to our airways. And we know that the best defense for this virus is healthy airways. We don't want the virus being able to get into our cells. So, again, little things like even staying hydrated keeps the mucus layer up on our, on our airways. Bugs don't get in. But So anything that damages our airways really not a good thing when it's a respiratory virus. There's been some talk about this. Does ibuprofen have any effect, good or bad? Yeah, this was quite controversial early on. It looked like there was some uh, case studies or individual reports that ibuprofen made the virus more infectable. Um, more recent and more comprehensive studies have disproven this, and uh, both Health Canada and the FDA in the United States say that there are no risks of taking ibuprofen while uh, the coronavirus is circulating. What are the main signs that it's not the flu that I have, but truly coronavirus? <laughs> That's a very tough question because there may not be any clear uh, difference. The only time to really be concerned, even if you have the flu, you should be self-isolating. The flu is another nasty bug, and it can kill people. So we don't want to say, oh, it's only the flu. Feel free to run around the community. So if you're not feeling well, definitely stay at home. Where you really have to seek professional help and medical attention is if it's not getting better and if it continues to progress and get worse, you may need then treatment at the hospital. And Dr. Janney, last question we'll be able to ask you this morning, but how long do you think before a vaccine is out? How how far are we on that? Yeah, we're still probably looking the better part of a year. The good news is that there are a lot of clinical trials with, with really strong candidates. And what we may see is positive results in the next three or four months 
in which case we could start vaccinating. But by the time we get a, a broad spectrum open to the public across the country, we're probably still looking at, at the better part of a year right now. Sue asked about zinc. I have to ask about vitamin C. We've heard a lot about vitamin C and upping those doses. Yeah, again, it doesn't hurt. I would not rely on this in any way, shape, or form as a defense against COVID. So just, again, overall health is, is our best defense. Keeping the body strong, keeping the immune system up, stressed down, well-rested, yeah, it'll help a lot. I think that was a record for answering questions. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Dr. Janney. Anytime, guys. Take care. You too. Be safe. That's Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Prof at the Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the U of C. 6.42 on the morning news. Janet Brown is a pollster and political commentator, and she's joining us this morning to provide context on the Premier's address and some of his messaging last night. Good morning, Janet. Good morning. Janet, what was your impression of Jason Kenney and his address last evening? Well, I think uh, it would probably go down as one of the most important speeches the Premier ever gave, and I think the Premier's office has to be pretty happy. I think it was quite a success. Um, the province had been really anticipating these projection numbers around the COVID crisis, um, and I think Jason Kenney used this as an opportunity to lay out what the projections were, um, but and also to give Albertans a sense that they're on top of the crisis, however bad it is, they're on top of it. They have a plan for coming back. But Jason Kenney also wanted to use the opportunity to really define for Albertans how serious our economic struggles are going to be uh, going forward. And I think that's why this speech had to be delivered by the Premier as opposed to, you know, Dina Hinshaw or a minister or somebody else. And I found that, you know, his his sentence that he said, we will face a great fiscal reckoning in the future, uh, understanding that Albertans are fearful of what lies ahead. But really, his message is be prepared what's coming down the pipe. Oh, I jotted that one down as well, you know, that, that economic reckoning. And so what he said was, you know, government's prepared to do what it needs to do to get through this crisis. Government's prepared to spend. He talked about, you know, some uh, economic infrastructure stimulus coming to get the economy back on track. But he said other jurisdictions will start to recover by the end of the year. Alberta will take much longer. Um, he also talked about that the, the debt will likely triple in size to, you know, about $21 billion billion dollars and he said that will be what causes this economic reckoning and as soon as he said that I thought oh this is what he thinks the 2023 election is going to be about Mm -hmm. how do we reckon with the economic struggles um, that we've that we've been going through. Now of course when you bring out modeling uh, like the premier had to do uh, you know best case and worst case scenarios in the end it's it's grim these are deaths of Albertans but uh, he uh, uh, stood and delivered the different models so i'm wondering how important just the sheer transparency is not just to Jason Kenney but any politician during this time Well, I think transparency is really important, and I also think timing is important, right? You know, step by step, both the provincial government and the federal government have had to get buy-in from the public, right? We don't have the kind of resources in this country where we can just kind of, you know, force people into submission. Um, We have to get people to do take all these measures willingly. And so, you know, I think step by step, you know, people have started to accept the fact that they need to bunker down for a long time. And now I think Albertans were ready for the transparency and the reality of how long we're going to need to hunker down. And the Premier saying that, you know, we're going to be in the current state until probably the end of May, and then it'll be some sort of, you know, phased approach to get back to reality. Janet, you know, I, I, I go to his very, I think it was his first sentence or one up, perhaps the greatest challenge of our generation. Do you think that the Premier was strong enough in his message? Was he, was, was he definitive enough or was he not strong in your opinion? 
Well, um, I, I, you know, I think um, the, the, you know, he's speaking to the media almost every day. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever whatever holes were in his speech last night, he has plenty of chances to fill them in. And and actually, one thing he didn't mention in the speech last night was, you know, the projected unemployment rate. But that was widely publicized as something he had said earlier in the day that you know we could be expecting twenty five percent unemployment. So I think we'll hear sort of some more specifics. But from my point of view, it sounded like. Like he was being, you know, pretty direct on stuff related to COVID. When it came to the economy, I think all he was trying to accomplish there was sort of define the problem, get Albertans to understand how extreme the problem is. And then I think down the road, um, he's going to have a conversation about how extreme the reaction to this economic situation is going to be. The importance of this time for a politician in their career, we're seeing that where there's a poll released this morning that 83% of respondents in Ontario are giving Doug Ford a huge thumbs up. That uh, poll probably would have been a lot different months ago. Uh, Wow, what a difference it, it can make to a politician's career. Well, and, you know, Doug Ford is really, you know, turning out to be the surprise in all of this. Um, And, you know, there's something about Doug Ford is reminding me of Ralph Klein, right? Can sometimes be rough around the edges, can be a little bit crass. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, not all Albertans, but the majority of Albertans thought, you know, Ralph's intentions were good, you know, that he really wanted what was best for Ontario. And I think this is why this is Doug Ford's moment to shine, despite the fact he's rough around the edges. It's hard not to believe that he's got a big heart and he cares a lot about Ontario. Yeah, he's definitely been a surprise. And in fact, you know, that polling showing all the premiers are are really doing very strongly. And I think most people would appreciate Jason Kenney's role as well. uh, And especially after last night's speech. Thanks for joining us, Janet. Appreciate your perspective. Thank you. That's Janet Brown, pollster and political commentator. 618 on the morning news and uh, parliamentarians are working to deliver an improved wage subsidy program for Canada's businesses Global's chief political correspondent, David Aiken, has been tracking these efforts, and he joins us now from Ottawa. Good morning, David. Morning. David, we know many businesses are urgently looking for help. Uh, can Ottawa deliver at this time? I guess that's the question. They're trying. So it, the, there needs to be some legislation to get this Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy uh, Program up and running, the CEWS. And all parties have some legislation right now. Uh, And they're working on it, and initial indications are good, but the Liberals will need unanimous support from the Conservatives and the New Democrats and the Bloc Québécois. Um, The Bloc Québécois leader could see an agreement as early as today, um, and then we have to get Parliament back. We could see the House of Commons sit perhaps over the Easter weekend. If they do get unanimous consent, uh, we're looking at an afternoon. I mean, it could be pretty quick. Of course, when we did this about a, you know, a few weeks ago, the Liberals introduced legislation which had a lot of surprises in it, shall we say. It really upset the opposition, and it took a long time. This time around, so far, no surprises. So we'll see. If it gets through, again, this is the wage subsidy program that's available to employers. Employers will be able to get a subsidy worth 75% of, per, per each employee to a maximum of 847 bucks a week. Again, the employer takes it in and pays it out to the employee. In the first run on this, the first take, the employer had to show that their revenue dropped 30% year over year. A lot of businesses said, that's not appropriate to me. I'm a startup or I'm a rapidly growing business. Better to have, you know, compare March of this year to February of this year. And the government has modified that and is willing to be flexible on that. Business groups saying that's a great innovation. Now the key is get this thing up and running as quickly as it can. 
even if Parliament was, were to meet this weekend, it's probably not till the middle of May before we get this program completely up and running. But businesses, again, they can't, they can't see this soon enough. Uh, to uh, help uh, with this wage subsidy. Yeah, David, yesterday, Alberta and Quebec, the latest jurisdictions to release their worst-case, best-case scenarios. What was your take now that we've gotten a few provinces' numbers? That's right. Very similar to B.C., very similar to Ontario, in that all premiers emphasizing that the measures we're taking right now will result in more deaths in Alberta's case. Well, I think we've got, what, about 26 Albertans have died mm-hmm. so far? And in a best-case scenario, probable scenario, to use Premier Kenny's words, we could see 400 to 3,100 deaths by the end of the summer. In Quebec, they've got 150 dead right now, could be 1,200 to 8,800 by the end of the summer. That's a lot. But both premiers saying that's not, uh, that's not written in stone. Albertans, Quebecers, Canadians, we can change those numbers by increasing or keeping on doing what we're doing with social distancing, trying to bring those numbers down. The other interesting difference between Alberta and Quebec, Quebec had this virus hit a little earlier than Alberta did, and they introduced measures a little earlier, so their peak may come a little earlier. The the Quebec officials saying the peak in cases, if everybody keeps doing what they're doing, could happen between the middle of April and end of April. Premier Kenny figures it'll likely be the the middle of May before Alberta hits its peak, Um, but he also encouragingly noted that right now the Alberta hospital system seems ready to cope. And he, I guess he's taking steps to uh, make sure there's more ICU beds should it, should, should it be required. But uh, so far, Alberta has really not tapped into the ICU beds that some other ge- jurisdictions have had to do. David, we have about 30 seconds, but I want to talk about getting that uh, much-needed gear to the frontline health workers. And I guess there's a, a, a double-edged or a two-pronged approach to doing that nationally. Right. So we want to get our domestic industry ramped up, and 5,000 firms have already put their hand up to say they're ready to make stuff. Prime Minister Trudeau yesterday saying we're going to be making uh, 30,000 ventilators in Canada. That's great news, but we still have to source a lot from overseas. Uh, We've got 230 million surgical masks coming from overseas suppliers. 16 million are already here, but as our government is saying, it's one thing to sign an order. In other words, it's another thing to actually see it delivered. Mm -hmm. It's the Wild West, the markets outside the country, but Canada is out there with its elbows up trying to buy what it can buy on international markets. We're good hockey players, elbows up. Thanks, David. All right, guys, cheers. Stay safe out there. That's David Aiken, Global's chief political correspondent. 849 now. Green Calgary is an urban environmental charity supporting Calgarians in waste and recycling and living a more sustainable life. They're now doing their part to help keep students and families busy during this social distancing period that we're in. We're joined this morning by the executive director of Green Calgary. And yes, you'll recognize her name, former broadcaster <laughs> Nirmala Naidu. Hi, Nirmala. Hi, Sue. How are you? Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. You're, you're wearing so many different hats these days. Tell us a little bit about Green Calgary and what you're up to. Well, Green Calgary is an environmental education charity, and we've been around since 1978, so 42 years. And uh, like everyone else, you know, we're in really tough times right now. And so we recognize that, and we decided that we needed to take the education that we normally teach in schools and workplaces into the online realm. So we've developed all of our content for K to 12 students, uh, teachers and parents and fellow community members. And uh, basically it's because we know that learning is important and that learning can be done anywhere at any time. So our online programs are going to help with that. And Nirmala, you know, our houses can be the perfect classroom for it because we can all be that much more green and get the whole family involved. So it seems like a perfect fit. 
It is. And we're doing some really cool things, Andrew. It's great to talk to you. It's like talking Long, to two old friends. Long time no speak, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, we have some really cool kids programs uh, that are a mix of curriculum-focused activities. So we sort of adhere to the Calgary Board of Education curriculum. And the activities use recycled materials, things found outdoors, things found in your house, all kinds of really cool things like that. You know, I think that the kids today are, they're just so savvy when it comes to recycling and all that kind of thing. So not only will this help the young folks, but I think it'll probably help the older folks as well to do a little learning. Yeah, it's actually for everybody. So it's, you know, like I said, teachers, parents, students, and we're all cooped up right now and we need something to do. So why not learn? And we've got some really cool modules. So we have um, outdoor math activities, homemade cleaning products. Like, you you know, everybody loves perfect. Yeah. So, you know, and personal care items like shampoos. So you don't have to keep running to the store for that one thing, which is dangerous. Right. Mm -hmm. You want to go for a big list, not for little tiny things. So um, some of our modules are going to tell you how to make some, you know, your own um, cleaning supplies that actually can kill the virus as well. Um, And then our citizen science programs where coops up kids can go outside to learn about um, how changing habitats uh, through um, climate change are actually affecting biodiversity. And they're taught how to analyze and upload the data onto real scientific websites where real scientists look at that data and it's used to track how pollution is affecting things like migration. Well, and I think the, the green learning is awesome because you get to be hands-on, and that's how the kids uh, really learn was when they're doing things. Exactly. And um, if you don't mind, I mean, I just want to really touch on something that's really important to Calgarians, and that's our rain barrel sales. You guys probably know it's like our biggest fundraiser of the year. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, like thousands, like, like at least 1,500 Calgarians every year line up for a rain barrel. And we just want to let them know that don't worry <laughs> We're still doing the sales this year. We've had to regroup. They were supposed to be at Calgary co-op uh, locations around the city. But um, due to social distancing, we've taken all the sales online. They have actually launched last Wednesday. And so for $75 plus $10 for delivery, we will deliver safely your barrel to your front yard anywhere in the city. And I think the biggest reason that I want to mention this is that never before have our backyards been more important. This year, they are an oasis for us, a calming comfort, I think, against the backdrop of the frightening times that we're in. And so with this rain barrel, you can stay safe, you can save water, you can grow a respite in your backyard, and you can be self-sustainable and grow your own food. It's perfect. There's so many great things, and it's all available online, greencalgary.org. We thank you for joining us. Be safe, Nirmala. Thank you. You guys, too. That's Nirmal Naidu, Executive Director of Green Calgary.